Hello, everyone. Welcome to the first episode of a new podcast here on Point of Insanity Network, Gamers Gambit. So, I am your host, Al, and with me, my cousin and co-host, Wayne. So, how's it going today, Wayne? It is wonderful. Went to go see a movie, uh, Crimes of Grindelwald, Fantastic Beasts 2, and was pleasantly surprised that it wasn't as a little bit low quality as the first ones, so that was interesting. Oh yeah, because um, I know we're thinking of seeing it because we saw the first one. I liked it. I real, I mean, I, I liked how they showed how there was somewhat of a difference between the wizard communities in the U.S. and in England. Like one of the things that I like, for example, even just the terminology, how like you know us non-magic using folk. You know, in the the UK, they called them, you know, Moogle. No, not Moogles. Uh, that's Final Muggles. Fantasy. Muggles. And then, you know, in in the US, they were called Nomadges. So, yeah. just the little things like that, I really liked. I enjoyed them. Uh, so, I, I am looking forward to see the first one or the second one. Um, so, I know that's on our list of movies we want to see. But we are not here to talk about movies, as today we are going to be talking about video games. And now, Wayne, as I mentioned in uh, Geekery in general, uh, you know, I actually mention him quite a bit. Uh, well, not actually not quite a bit, not like every episode, but um, I have actually mentioned you a few times here and there when I was doing Geekery in general, except I just always referred to you as my cousin. Um, and... You know, because I talked about how you, uh, you know, a lot of times, well, you were the one who introduced me to the Nintendo Entertainment System because, you know, at that time, the only, uh, you know, video games I was really familiar with other than arcades was the, was the Atari and, you know, Intellivision and the ColecoVision. So, you know, go back and listen to our episode on uh, Final Fantasy VI and Chrono Trigger uh, to hear a little bit more about that. But... Wayne, you actually had this idea for uh, the podcast and the basic format we would do. Um, so why don't you tell us a little bit about the idea that you had for for this particular podcast series we're doing. So there's a lot of news just going around all the time and a lot of things that are gone over on other podcasts and stuff. And I thought that, you know, just getting things out there and finding out what your opinions were, share my opinion maybe, and then I'm not sure if you have like a comment section or anything with your podcast so you get feedback from people or or like an email and just see what their things are for kind of a, I guess, not raging angry fan people and, you know, possibly just a more cool view of things, you know? Yeah, and I know I think Podbean does have a comment, and occasionally someone will comment on a, a podcast through the the Facebook page. So this particular show, we're going to be focusing a little bit more on modern games and specifically what's going on in the gaming industry. Because um, I usually on Geekery in general, I tend to talk a little bit more about classic games and older games. And now, we're probably only going to do this once, maybe twice a month, so we're not exactly going to be cutting-edge news, So we're gonna, but we, we'd like to talk a little bit about some of the going-ons in the gaming industry, 
as well as have a little bit of opinion and discussion as well. So the first piece of news I have is Super Smash Brothers Ultimate, due to be released very soon, December 7th. Uh, I pre-ordered my copy. Uh, now, do you have a Switch or not yet? I have a Switch. I bought it once I figured out what the new Zelda was going to be. They announced it, and they're like, on the Switch. And I was like, yeah, that's that's for me. Uh, I don't really travel a lot, but having something that's a full console that you can either have in that docked mode or that um, travel-to-go mode really intrigued me because it was like, you know, this is a concept I haven't really seen before. Yeah, and I have to give Nintendo credit in a lot of ways because with their last three consoles, they have tried, well, actually, let's say four because I'd like to include the DS in there as well. You got to give them credit for how they do try to do new things with the consoles. And like with the DS, how you could have like the, the stylus and you could use that in some games. And again, it worked to varying degrees of success. Uh, the Nintendo Wii with the motion controls, and then the 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 Wii U with the the tablet controller, and I guess we could even go back further to the Virtual Boy, though I'm sure Nintendo would prefer that we all forget about that one. Yeah, that one was a very intriguing thing. It's a, the thing that sat on the tripod that was supposed to be virtual reality, which turned into a all. Red field of vision. <laughs> now, have you ever like, oh. have you ever played had a chance to play Virtual Boy? I had not. I put my uh, face in there and I said, mm, I don't know if I'm going to like that too much. <laughs> Just like yeah, because a friend of mine had it, and I had it. There were the only games I had a chance to play was um, the tennis one, and then I think it was called like Red Alarm. It was the spaceship one. And it wasn't yeah. bad, but the problem is you couldn't always tell where you were going. Um, but, you know, and then with the Nintendo Switch, I do like, again, I, I agree with you. I like how you've got the dock mode, and then you've also got, you know, the, the portable mode, which is nice because, and this is actually one of the things I did like about the tablet controller for the Wii U. Like, you know, most of our our game systems are hooked up to our main TV in the living room, and... You know, sometimes like, okay, let's say my son wants to play something on the Wii U or he wants to play something on the Switch and mom and dad want to watch TV or play Xbox, well, he can always pick it up and take it in his bedroom and, and play there. So have you uh, been much of a fan of the Super Smash Brothers series? To be honest with you, until I, because I was a late adopter to the Wii and the GameCube, I didn't really get too much into. Never didn't have a N64 because I had switched over to PlayStation. Um, so really, I hadn't been. But I did pick up uh, Super Smash Brothers on the 3DS, and I and I actually did enjoy it quite a bit. Um, I thought it wouldn't, you know, run that well or whatnot, but I was willing to give it a shot. And I follow it a little bit because I watch some people who do some competitive gaming on YouTube. Um, and they're, you know, they have some things going on that you can watch tournaments. And I've always liked watching it. So when this announcement was made for the, DI, uh, for the Switch, 
I was actually I think everybody had been waiting for it to happen. You know, this was one of the penultimate things that everybody's waiting for. But then, you know, to get the Super Smash Brothers fighting in a portable mode, again, I have my own opinions of Nintendo's online offerings, but I, again, yeah, no, being a fan of Super Smash Brothers, you know, not since 3DS, you know, only 3DS version is the only one I've really played with any exclusivity, but... Yeah, yeah. Because um, I was again a late adapter to uh, not necessarily to the Wii, but to the the uh, Smash Brothers franchise. I did play a little bit. Uh, well, actually, I didn't really play it. Uh, maybe I did because for many years I worked at on uh, camp staff at a Boy Scout camp, mm-hmm. and in our staff cabin, someone brought a Nintendo sixty four, and that was one of the games that they brought up, and people would play. Um, and you know, it I remember watching it i don't think i actually played it very often and uh also one of my other friends had smash brothers uh for this n64 again i maybe i played it once or twice didn't play melee when it first came out but i did enjoy smash brothers brawl a lot especially the story mode then when smash brothers on the wii u came out I have to admit I was a little disappointed in that because I thought the board game mode was a poor substitute for the for the the adventure mode. But one of the things there's two things I'm really looking forward to with Smash Brothers Ultimate. Well, three things. Two, three, no, three, four. Do I hear four? Um I mean I the first set they're gonna have everyone playable again. Uh, also, another thing I'm really looking forward to is Simon Belmont because I'm a huge Castlevania fan. But I was watching a trailer; they're bringing back a story mode. So, just from the trailer I saw, it looks like you're probably going to start as Kirby, and then it's going to be like the one in Brawl, where you know you would gradually get, uh, you know, assemble your, you know, your team again. But I wonder how many of the all, I think it was like 70-some characters. So, I mean, I'm wondering yeah. how I'm wondering how they're going to work that, where are all 70-some characters going to be on your team, or are there going to be some that, you know, maybe you only play them in the, the verse mode. But I'm really looking forward to it. I'm a little, I'm a little bit hesitant myself. And I only say that because we all love when fighting games have huge amounts of selection. But if what I've been reading is true and seeing, they're almost putting every single Smash character into this game. And I'm like, like you said, 70 plus characters. And I'm like going, well, does that mean some of them aren't really going to be as good as others? Are some of them going to be just ones that nobody ever plays because they're just there by the wayside, or you just never get to them? It's one of those things that, you know, if you throw everything into the kitchen sink, you know what I mean, what's left to actually use because you've got, uh, I guess, too many choices? That's, that <laughs> is that even possible? That is true. I can totally see your point, and the because um I know Mortal Kombat did that with Mortal Com with Armageddon, where they had everyone and there was I think like fifty people. Fifty was it fifty? 
I don't know. I just know there were a lot of characters in that one. But like uh, I know from Brawl, for example, Meta Knight was considered one of the top tier uh, players in that one. And Ganon, I think, was considered the worst um, or one of the worst. But anyways, continuing with the Switch, but moving to a different franchise, another one of those franchises that I've been a fan of for many years, Final Fantasy. So there's... Uh, they've re- they've announced that there's several uh, of the games that were originally released for the PlayStation that are going to be coming to the Switch. 7, 9, 10, 10-2, and 12, The Zodiac Age. So what are your opinions on these? Are, are you... Now, did you ever get a chance to play some of these games when they came out on the PlayStation 2? All of them. Um, okay. I have played well, Zodi- all of go- them. Let me correct myself. Um, Zodiac well, Age. And... Yeah, Zodiac Age, I know. Well, was 12 on the 2 or was that on 3? 12 was on 2, yeah. Uh, but it wasn't the Zodiac Age. Zodiac Age yep. actually has um, a different uh, class leveling system that you just had different boards and pretty much everybody could mesh together um, in the normal 12. Um, it was, I think, a... I forget what it was actually called i don't remember what it's called for the actual uh game board system that they use that's pretty much like the sphere grid yeah because um i was going to correct myself so yeah the because i remembered after i said that oh yeah that's right uh zodiac age is a re is a a remaster so um but the did x2 was that on ps2 as well or was that ps3 that was on ps2 as well that was the sequel to 10 so it is nice to see these games because I'm actually, in a way, I'm kind of surprised they're doing seven because I believe that, you know, that's available on PlayStation Network. Uh, I know it's available through Steam and it wouldn't surprise me if they released it on the Xbox eShop. And I mean, I guess, uh, yeah. aren't they? During the announcement, they actually, I believe, said that all these are coming also to the Xbox Three, uh, not Three Sixty, the Xbox One. So these are gonna, all these games are now gonna be available on Steam, Nintendo Switch, PS4, and Xbox. Which um, is... The other one that is not listed here is the World of Final Fantasy. That one, uh, Maxima, okay. that's also coming. Yeah, because yeah, it's like after the. Um, I remember back in the switchover from the 16-bit era to, like, the 64 and the disc-based systems, I was kind of bummed to hear that Final Fantasy was going to the PlayStation. And I understand the technical reasons why, because, like, Nintendo wanted to stick with cartridges where Sony wanted to move to the CDs, or um, Square Enix wanted to move to the CDs because the, you know, I guess it was impossible to run. It would have been impossible to run a 3D Final Fantasy game on the 64. So, yeah. I don't, after... I don't know about... I don't know about Impossible. I just know that Final Fantasy itself, with the ability of the N64 to generate colors and the limitations of cartridges, and you can't necessarily switch out cartridges like you can switch out CDs, um, that Final Fantasy VII and eight and probably nine would have not not have been possible. I I don't believe on the Nintendo sixty four at all. 
Yeah, so it is nice to see that they are going to make these available to people who uh, didn't jump on the PlayStation bandwagon because, yeah, after 6, it uh, most of it was... Yeah, I think most of the uh, Final Fantasy games were released primarily on PlayStation or PC. So I'm glad to see it. I'm thinking of checking out 12 and possibly 10. Um, I'm also thinking of 9. So I don't know, probably not going to do 7 just because we got it for we bought it on Steam. So I definitely recommend 12. 12 was a very um, interesting story. Um, and the visuals were a little bit more muddied on the PS2, where now the visuals are, you know, enhanced and remastered. So that was a very good thing. Uh, Final Fantasy X is a classic. Um, just very interesting system. Having a party where you can switch in and out with all your members in any fight. Um, and, like, you can use them once, fight, and, and get XP. That was a very new kind of system and way to you know play a game there and then nine a lot of people to this day still say that nine is one of the best final fantasies out there next to seven yeah and i'd have to say that nine probably has one of my favorite battle themes uh for the of the final fantasy series but that's just my opinion so our next topic is also regarding a final fantasy game final fantasy 15 Unfortunately, most of the upcoming DLC has announced, they announced it has been canceled. I think it's because the director decided to leave the series or leave the, the company. So they were planning Episode Arden, which is still uh, still a go. But unfortunately, Episodes Noctis, Arnea, and Luna Freya have all been canceled. Which honestly kind of bums me out. I was looking forward to seeing what they were going to do with those because um, the Noctis one, I, were they going to do like what happened between when he entered the crystal and when he returned? I don't know if you heard that. I'm, that I'm not sure, or if that was going to be kind of a continuation of the ending. Um, like, it was really hard to say. Like the the sad part of this really is, in my opinion, and I don't know if you'll agree that Final Fantasy 15. Well, it was a great game. I enjoyed it immensely. The story was a little bit janky. Just DLC covering story. When it came out, the entire thing wasn't done, and now the bits that they were going to put in there to kind of explain more of it. You know, the good thing was that Arden's still coming out to tell its story is pretty much, I think, only because it's almost finished since it's coming out in March. But yeah, the the entire thing here that um, Aranea, the tale of what happened um, in the enemy kingdom, while the, you know you get to the first parts of Kingslave, um, I know Luna Freya was just, her entire story, you know, how she felt about things and, and why she kept on going through there. Noctis was a little bit that I didn't quite understand what was going on with that one, if that was while he was sleeping or whether that was, you know, do you mean more towards the end of the game? But it is a sad part because for people who have invested, you know, one, money on the on the season pass and to just time trying to figure out this entire story, whether you've watched the Brotherhood anime, um, Kingsglaive, and then played, you know, 
all the way through Final Fantasy 15 and the, all the DLCs for the chapters, um, it's kind of like a sad thing that you'll never see the full game that Tabata wanted to take out. And apparently this was brought on partly because Tabata, they just only listened to Nomura supposedly for his visions and his things. And whenever Tabata, you know, brings something up, you know, they don't really pay attention to him as much, but he's like always in the background trying to make sure everything comes out. At least, you know, that's kind of what I've heard. And the Luminous Engine, that entire division, who's responsible for Final Fantasy XV, lost, like, what was it, 30 million yen in one quarter? So, yeah, I'm not sure. But, I mean, I don't think, and again, we can probably agree to disagree about this. Uh, I think Episode Arden is going to be interesting because, yeah, I did read it takes place 30 years before Final Fantasy XV, I don't think episode Aranea and Luna Freya are necessarily essential to the story, but it would be interesting to learn more about Luna Freya because, okay, we know that, you know, she's kind of Nox's uh, childhood sweetheart, but other than that, we don't get to really know much about her. So she does have a story yeah. that would be interesting to learn more about. But again, what really uh, I wouldn't really be interested in is not, you know, the episode Noctis especially if it was going to go, but you know, for what happened between, like I said, that, that 10 year period where he was gone. Cause I remember, well, did you ever see the video they released for stand by me um, with the final fantasy cutscenes in it? Yeah. Cause there was a lot of stuff. I remember like there's one where he's driving along in the car and it flips over. There's this other one where there's all this stuff that really weird stuff. Like he's, um, you know, in this, like, a hellish landscape surrounded by all these behemoths. Um, there's one where, you know, he's fighting all these robots and his weapon disappears. And I was always wondering, okay, when does that happen in the game? But I guess that was from another CGI movie they made called Omen. And it was supposed to show what would have happened if uh, Noctis went on his journey alone without his three bros. But who knows, maybe someday, well, maybe we'll get lucky and then someday in the future, they'll announce that those three episodes will be, uh, you know, maybe they'll, they will redo them or they'll, they will, what, they'll uncancel them. I don't know if that makes sense or not. So yeah, no, they'll, they'll, they'll put the project from cancellation into production again. Yeah. So next order of business, PlayStation Classic. It doesn't surprise me that Sony's jumping on the plug-and-play band, bandwagon because, you know, I, they probably saw the success of the NES Classic and the SNES Classic. Plus, even before that, did you ever see they had the uh, the Sega Genesis Classics? Yep, I those usually had a fair amount of games for or what they had. Now, whether they really worked that well or not, that I don't know. We used to have one, and I know they've made a couple okay. different versions of it. One of the things that was nice about it, it did have a slot for your Genesis games. So that could be, I could see that being really helpful if, you know, let's say you still had some of those games lying around, but your Genesis broke, and maybe it was too much to replace it, but, you know, you could get this compact little unit. Now, one of the problems with it is the it did have wireless remote controllers, 
but they were small and they were crap. Uh, mm. The, however, it did have the little outlet so you could still use your regular Sega Genesis controllers with it. So that was good. Now, for the built-in games, there were like it had eighty games. Only forty of them were actual. At least that I remember. Only about forty of them were actual games and that they were released for the Genesis though they had a couple of like I think Game Gear games in there and uh, then they had a, a bunch of filler games which were just really poorly done games that the you know someone programmed and just shoved on there just so that they could do uh, you know different uh, you know just so they could put more games on there now, there was a problem yeah. with the sound emulation, and I don't know if they corrected it with, you know, later releases of it. Because I know, like, the latest version actually has the Fantasy Star series on it. So okay. that, I think, would actually be interesting to play if you're, like I said, if you uh, maybe want to check out some of the Fantasy Star games and you don't want to get the... Well, I know they released it on a compilation disc, the, uh, yeah. you know, the, the Sonic uh, Sega Gold Collection. You know, which had a bunch of other stuff as well. Well, anyways, um, the like I said, the sound emulation was a big thing because I most noticed it on Sonic the Hedgehog because there was, you know, having played the original one, there was a big difference between, you know, the the version on the, you know, the, the classic and then what you saw on the cartridge. Also, the cartridge was not, comp no, not the cartridge, also, the uh, Sega plug-and-play was not compatible with the Sonic 2 and Knuckles lock-on lock technology. Yeah, that, that kind of pass-through would be kind of interesting to see, you know, a retrograde, actually, to see how that would actually work, if it did work. Yeah, and like I said, it wasn't a bad little system. I mean, if you had, if you were just casually interested in Sega... Or like I said, if uh, you had a Genesis, some Genesis games, but you didn't want to go out and buy a Genesis unit because, I mean, I don't know how much they go on, they go for at your used game stores, but you know, like I said it wasn't bad, uh, especially for a more casual player. Now, I know that they, uh, the the SNES Classic, that I guess went, I guess went over really well because you know, look, you look at the games on it. I mean, with Final Fantasy three. And Mother, or I'm sorry, not Mother, Earthbound on it. You know, either one of those games, you know, can easily cost you 50, 60, you know, bucks or more on the secondary market. So if you want to put things in perspective, it's kind of like, well, get those two games and you get a bunch of other stuff for with it as well. Um, yeah. So, and of course, they have released different versions of the Atari plug and play. And then I know they've also had ones for Coleco and Intellivision as well. So, the PlayStation Classic. So, that's scheduled to be released December 3rd. And, now, what was your opinion when you saw the list of the games that they've they've finally announced for it? To be honest with you, I was kind of like, these are what they figured were the best games ever? I was like, there's a, a bunch of good ones, but I kind of was in the, uh, the camp that kind of canceled my pre-order because for a hundred dollars i'm like yeah a lot of these are good but i'll see how it gets reviewed and how the emulation is because they're using a third-party emulation but like 
right away Battle Arena Toshinden at my house during high school. There was so many people over all playing Battle Arena Toshinden because it, we were all used to like a Street Fighter and you know just the 2D. But the concept of being able to press the right and left bumpers and go, you know, to go around the person and dodge attacks, that was totally new. And we had so much fun with it. Uh, It's a little bit slow, um, so it's not as responsive as you might like. But once you get the hang of it, it, it's just really an awesome game there. It's, I think, kind of overlooked as a series, but... Then you go down to Cool Borders 2. I've never, never heard of it, so... Yeah, I'm just... like, I don't know, like, uh, you, I know you can't get Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, I'm sure, or Pro Skater 2, but at the same time, I'm not sure where they came up that, with that. Just the Destruction Derby, again, I don't know, I've, again, I've not really heard of that, heard anything great or bad about it, but it's just kind of one of the blah <laughs> yeah final fantasy 7 in a way i'm su- i'm kind of i'm i'm su- both surprised and not surprised they put it on there i mean let's in the words of pro jared everyone goddamn loves final fantasy 7 and i hate it that square knows that um because he had this one episode he did called the worst things that square has done with final fantasy and that was one of his reasons how they try to work Final Fantasy VII in wherever they can. Now, yeah, the reason I'm not surprised they did it is because it is considered one of the more popular and one of the be- the best games in the series. The reason I'm so that's why I'm not surprised they put it on. The reason I am surprised they put it on is because I mean, for so long, it's been available on Steam and other platforms. So it's like I'm sure. Th- I guess I'm going to guess that most people who purchase the PlayStation Classic probably aren't going to do it for Final Fantasy VII alone, but I think that they probably, it probably wouldn't have suffered if they didn't include Final Fantasy VII, but I I don't think it's necessarily going to be a a deal, you know, a game changer for most people. That's just my opinion. No, I... I think most of it, most of it is when you're having this and you're having the nostalgia of the first CD-based um, Final Fantasy, and it, it was a big deal to have Final Fantasy on the PlayStation, like you said. You know, instead of going from the Super Nintendo to N64, you know what I mean? That's a big deal. Does it belong here? Yes. Is it, is it going to be a system seller for that? It's on. It's going to be on every other platform now. So if you want your Final Fantasy VII, you can get it. I mean, it doesn't. It's not a breaker, a make or break game at all anymore. Yeah, I mean, how many copies of Final? How many different platforms do you need Final Fantasy VII on? So, well, and just just think, soon we're all going to be buying the remaster. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> or not the remaster, but the remake. I I think we'll touch on the seven remake in a future top future episode because I guess that was delayed, but. Grand Theft Auto, I'm not really familiar with the first one. I mean, I've I'm more I've seen and heard more about the other ones where it started to get more where it started to generate the controversy. Um what was the was it Grand Theft Auto 2 or Grand Theft Auto Vice City that got the uh all the controversy? Cuz there's something about okay. like you could you could pay pay a hooker and then once you got out of the car you could run her over or kill her and take the money. 
Oh, that was Grand Theft. That was Grand Theft Auto Three, I believe. Okay. That was the that was the point in which on the PS2, um, it was now th- again. It was kind of like a Final Fantasy story. It was technically an open world adventure game, if that's the right term for it. You know, you've got you can shoot, jump, um, like you said, get a hooker, run her over, um, even. Which was even funny, you know, you spend 50 bucks and then you run her over and get your money back. Um, it, again, was the first game of its type that had been seen. And, you know, the controversy from there just went on to, you know, things like San Andreas. Um, but yeah, this uh, Grand Theft Auto and Grand Theft Auto 2, uh, both for the PlayStation, was pretty much just a top-down looking game that I don't know if I actually ever played them because it was just kind of another generic. game and yeah I mean from what I've heard from multiple people it's nothing special the real thing that made them special is when they got to a more story driven you know open world in the Grand Theft Auto 3 okay Intelligent Cube I'm assuming that's probably some sort of puzzle game Yep, that's a puzzle game. I've never played it. Jumping Flash, never heard of it. I have actually heard about it because of a friend of mine from high school. It's a a game about a... You're in a mechanical rabbit sending lasers out and doing things for, like, a -a collect-a-thon of of carrots and doing... I don't know the story behind it, but they actually made two Jumping Flashes. And... It was a game that that's one of the games that was on there that I was intrigued by because I actually never got to play much of it. And it was an intriguing idea. I just didn't know much about it. Okay. Metal Gear Solid. And I'm glad they put this one on. And I'm actually interested in checking that out because I've played Metal Gear and Metal Gear 2 for the, the Nintendo they were okay. I mean, I never beat the second one, but I did like the second one a little bit better than the first because it had better gra- better music and graphics, in my opinion, um, whereas the first one was just, I've beaten it, but it was just kind of lackluster, at least as far as the music goes. The thing I didn't like about those, and I'm not sure if they fixed this or not in the, the later Metal, Metal Gear games, is whenever you got to a locked door with a key card, you had to find the right key card to use if you didn't know. And, I mean, I suppose that's realistic, but it was kind of annoying, especially when you were in a room with, like, poison gas and you had to, like, take off your gas mask to find which card you wanted to, you needed to use. So, have yeah, you ever... No, I... Uh, Metal Gear Solid, I bought for a friend. I've never been... Because it's more stealthy-oriented, I've never been too good about it, but... Metal Gear Solid is definitely a very good game to have on the console. It was like, I feel, the reemergence of Metal Gear. Like, without that game and the sequel, Metal Gear Solid 2 on PS2, without those two games doing so well, I don't think that we would have things like Metal Gear 5 or even the PS4 version, the Sons of uh, Sons of Peace, I think it is, Metal Gear Solid 4. I don't know if it would have continued, but Sons of Liberty, yep. Um, I don't think without the original Metal Gear Solid, I don't think we would be at a place, and in a way, Kojima being the, you 
know, the developer we see him as, I I think this game is a good jumping off point for that, and I'm glad they have this on there. Okay. Mr. Driller, never heard of it, so not really Another sure what Another puzzle to game? Oddworld. Another puzzle game, not much. Oddworld Abe's Odyssey. I would like to try that one out because I it it just from the commercials I saw for it, it seemed to have an interesting story. And we used to get this channel called Game HD, and they used to have this show on it I liked called Cinematics, where they would, and this was before like it became really popular on YouTube, but what they would do is they would show mo- they would show a little bit of gameplay footage if it was necessary. But they would show, they would edit together the major cutscenes to form a movie. So there were some games I saw in that that got me interested in picking those up. Um, but I remember they had the sequel, AIDS Oddworld Stranger's Wrath, or something like that. And they had a movie for that. So I'm, I actually would be interested in trying that one. Uh, Rayman, I know it has something to do with these weird little bunny creatures, but it's not not something that I would go out of my way to play. Exactly. Uh, Resident Evil Director's Cut. It would be interesting to try. I've never really been into the survival horror, and I think it wasn't like the first one had really bad play control. Uh, the tank controls were, to this day, that's why I can't really play those uh, re- first Resident Evil. Uh, I just can't get over the tank controls. Um the thing that intrigues me about this one is that the Resident Evil director's cut, you know, it's Resident Evil. It's the first one that brought them there. But at this point, versus, I'm pretty sure you know that they remade the game for the GameCube. Um, yes. And it's available on, I believe, Xbox and PS4. Xbox One, PS4. And the graphics on those are so much better, and I think the controls are so much tighter that, well, this is good for nostalgia. And I think this is one of the things that hits up the trouble with some of these PS Classic games. Is Some of these games have been remastered now, and they're actually kind of better looking now. So if you want to, you know, so Resident Evil, the original director's cut, um, I think that that's a good thing. It's just the other thing I'm wondering is why did they not include Resident Evil 2 as well? Yeah. Because I believe both of those are ones that are definitely two of the main staples of PlayStation. Okay. Uh, Re- Revelations Persona, not familiar with that. Um, is that part of the Persona series? Yep. That's okay. the first Persona. Okay. Because I've heard a little bit about that, so that'd be interesting to try. Uh, Ridge yeah. Racer Type 4, I assume that's just like a racing game. Um, like I said, I've heard of Ridge Racer, but I've never actually played it. Yeah, and that's pretty much... Uh, Ridge Racer is a big... Um, at least was a big uh, PS4. There's a, There was a meme for a while of uh, the head of the Sony studio at the time, you know, and he's like, Ridge Racer! Uh, you know, and he's just talking about it. So, um, yeah, that doesn't surprise me, and I'm I'm kind of glad it's on there. But another thing that's been brought up is um, Gran Turismo. PlayStation had the first Gran Turismo game that pretty much changed the landscape of driving games, and it's not to be found on this. And they chose, you know, 
the Ridge Racer Type 4, you know what I mean, over Gran Turismo. Super Puzzle Fighter 2 Turbo. I am interested in playing that. I have I did like Street Fighter 2. Um, I did see a friend of mine play it, so it looked like kind of a fun little puzzle game. Uh, so yeah. I, now, Siphon Filter, is that a shoot 'em up or... That's it. That's a meta. It's kind of like Metal Gear Solid, except okay. Sony, one of Sony Studios, uh, made their own version of it. Um, as far as I know, people people did like that one. Okay. Tekken that, three. That one's been in the cooler. Yeah, Tekken three. I know that. Yeah, that's fighting. I never really no. played much of Tekken, so I'm not. I said I don't really have much experience with that. Uh, I don't know. Have you played much of Tekken? No, I I've never been able to. It switched kind of controllers where it was a it was a it was kind of like Virtual Fighter for me. It was a little bit too technical, I think, where I was used to the um, Capcom fighting types. So when the when that came out, it had a whole different super system and kind of a more technical aspect to it that I never invested enough time to actually learn <laughs> yeah i know i've always liked more of the side scrolling through the side view uh fighters and the 3d ones but okay tom clancy's rainbow six never really been much into the shooters so like i said it's one of those things where if i get it i might try it but i'm probably not going to spend a lot of time on it uh yeah same here twisted metal that one i actually would look forward to playing i've seen other people play it it looks kind of fun. I like the concept behind it where it's this, you know, demolition derby on steroids. So that sounds pretty, that sounds like it'd be a lot of fun. Yeah. And it's, and it's one of the, it's one of those ones that, you know, when you think of PlayStation, you do think of the Twisted Metal series. And um, I, now I can't think of the main character there. It's the clown on the uh, sweet tooth. Uh, the clown head on the, yeah, sweet tooth. Needles the clown. And then, so, yeah, isn't it like Needles is the clown and then sweet tooth is the name of his vehicle? Yeah, I think so. Finally, Wild Arms. I'd like to play that one. I mean, I've I said I have a friend who I saw him play it. I love the opening cutscene and the song that goes with it. Uh, you know, where it's got that old whole spaghetti western feel. So that's one of the things where, honestly, I am thinking of picking it up because uh, that's one of the games I'd like to try. Twisted Metal, I'd like to try. I think Persona would be kind of fun. Uh, Odd World, Metal Gear Solid. So I guess the way I would see it, it's like, well, a hundred dollars is cheaper than buying a PlayStation and buying those games secondhand. So, you know, this way it's like, well, I can get the you know five six games I'm really interested in, and the rest are just kind of bonus material. <laughs> oh yeah, no, that I'll definitely agree with. I, so I would like your opinion on something though. Yes, with Nintendo bringing so because we don't. Nintendo has this thing where on their Switch, on their, uh, well, I think they did a lot better with the Wii and the Wii U, uh, with the Wii Store, but now with some of their retro collections, you know, they're kind of holding back. They don't want to release a lot. Um, and then with, like, their Nintendo Classics, pretty much what you get is what you get. With um, excuse me there, um, with PlayStation Classic again, what you get is what they what you get. They're saying you can't put any more games on there. You can't download. What's your opinion on that? Like we're getting these retro consoles where in the past there's stores where you could buy new ones, change them out, 
Uh, Nintendo has said they're not going to make a Nintendo Entertainment System Classic 2 or an SNES Classic 2. Um, we can only think that this is going to be the same with the PlayStation Classic, but would you have liked to see something where you have a box, you know, in this case, this is an emulator, where you could have gone to like a PlayStation store or in Nintendo's case, you could have gone to a Nintendo store and downloaded, even if only for a short amount of time, you know, games to be able to try out that were classic in the day and have them run as if they were on a Nintendo or on a Super Nintendo or in this case, on a PlayStation, and would that have been more of a value, or would that have retracted retra- retracted some of the nostalgia value on these? For me, that would have been a good feature because part of the problem with these plug-and-play systems, you get them, and you know you can't add anything. So, I mean, I know there's tech geniuses out there that know how to mod them, but the average person isn't going to know how to do that. But, I mean, let's say you get the game and, you know, maybe you've played, you know, after a while you play the 20 games that are on there and then you get kind of bored of it and then you end up selling it at a rummage sale or, you know, uh, to a a locally used secondhand store. So I think they are missing out on an opportunity uh, by not giving you the option to, you know, download future games for it. I'm sure part of it is probably the cost factor. Because if they did want to give you the ability to download new games for it, they'd have to, you know, they'd have to add extra memory in there. Um, they would also have to, you know, find a way to make it connect to the internet and then find a way to, you know, allow those transactions to take place. Now, I know they could always do something where, you know, you've got like a little USB stick you could buy at a store and plug it in and, you know, now you can install Final Fantasy VIII or whatever but then again, I know the problem with that is, well, I don't know. I suppose it's not much different than used games in any other medium. But I suppose it be might be easy enough to for someone to copy that onto a new USB and then give it out to their friends. So I think they're missing yeah. out. I think they're missing out on an opportunity. Uh, I think it'd be awesome if they did do something like that, where you could download additional games for it. But I'm I'm guessing probably the main reason they're not is because of the cost factor. Which pretty much I think it's especially for Nintendo, it's that secondhand used market that they don't want pirating of software more than anything else. Um, you know, because if you just give everybody the ability to have this, you know, run around with SD cards or. Um, you know, USB sticks, all of a sudden that's less control they have of these titles and whatnot. I think a lot of people would have appreciated, you know, at least being able to maybe have some ability to get the some of the more titles they wanted, or even like Nintendo said, they're not really interested in doing in like a SNES Classic 2 um, a, you know, Nintendo Classic 2 uh, they just recently said that they're not interested in doing N64 Classic, um, but at the Which same time, with... yeah, I, mean, I don't I think... disagree. These things are selling like hotcakes. I mean, I I see over. I went to Best Buy tonight, and they've got stacks of the NES Classic ready to go in SNES Classic, and I'm just like, I will bet you by you know day after Thanksgiving slash you know 
now Thanksgiving. Why we're having shops open on Thanksgiving, I don't know. But uh, by the end Money. of this weekend, Cyber Monday and everything, I'm betting they won't have any left because they are selling. People want these things. There is a market for them. And, you know, and I, I is, don't know. I just think – oh, go ahead. No, and the thing is, I mean, I think it's a good sign that they're selling so well because, I mean, emulators have been, a, you know, around for, for, for decades I mean, I remember even back in the 90s, um, there was like a program, Nesticle, and I know there's a few others where, again, you can download this program, and then you can download, you know, all the, you can, you know, the, you download the program files for, um, you know, the game. So, yeah, you can get, you can find these NES and Super Nintendo emulators for your computer. So the fact that people are willing to do that instead of going and downloading the uh, the emulators, that does say something that people are willing to pay for it if the companies offer it in a format that people want and that they're willing to pay for. So I don't know. But what do we, Wayne, what do we know? We're just a couple of gamer, cons- we're just a couple consumers, we're just a couple of people who've been playing video games for many, many years. What do we know? Exactly. I now, do, some days that I wonder. But granted, I mean, I know we might not be, you know, we, as I said, because I think one of the reasons they're not doing that is because of cost considerations. Um, you know, because I, I remember with the for the Wii, remember when it first came out, it had the emulator for the GameCube built into it. But then, you know, they, they, they took that out and then it dropped the price by like 50 bucks or something like that. Yeah. So I don't know. But then again, for this PlayStation, let's just use the PlayStation Classic as an example. Would you pay an extra 50 bucks for it if you knew that you could download and maybe even delete some of those games? Like, let's say, for example, Grand Theft Auto. You're not interested in that one. If you had the option, okay, the system's going to cost a little more, but you could say delete, you know, Grand Theft Auto and, you know, download another PlayStation game that you really liked. Would you be willing to pay that extra 50 bucks? For me, and this is going to sound crazy, I don't know if you've ever heard of these games, but there's two games, Suikoden 1 and Suikoden 2. Um, for the ability to have those on a, a PS Classic that I didn't have to uh, drag out my, my PS3 for. It was just this little thing, and I could download those or some of the other great JRPGs that came on, came on the system. Yeah, I would in a heartbeat, because at that point, it would be worth it to me. So we're going to end this episode, because we talked a little bit about some of the news, and, well, we've given you some opinions, but one of the things I'd like to do, in addition to talking about some of the going-ons in the gaming industry i'd also we'd also like to talk a little bit well have an opinion section and you had uh you were mentioning when we were talking about this that i guess there's somewhat of a controversy regarding the uh diablo game that they're releasing for the nintendo switch i'm not really familiar with the diablo series i saw a friend of mine play it on the computer a little bit i know that they did try back in the heyday of the D20 system and the open gaming license, they did make an officially licensed 3.0 D, you know, D20, not, not 3.0, that's D&D only, but they did make a D20 version of Diablo. But why don't you, uh, and let me just double check that, but while I'm doing that, why don't you go ahead and uh, 
tell me a little bit about this Diablo controversy. So the Diablo controversy came up with there's this the, the Blizzard is this huge company and Activision took them over and each not each year but they have a convention for diehard Blizzard fans called uh, BlizzCon. And that's when pretty much, you know, I heard it best and I kind of laugh at it, but you go there and you get to watch commercials. <laughs> you get to see what the latest news of what Blizzard is doing. You get to follow your favorite, you know, games and whatnot. And, you know, there's a lot of cosplay that goes on. There's different panels. Uh, there's even, you can stay at home and watch BlizzCon via a live ticket. Um, and what happened actually is they de they decided to end their main big news section of their convention while well, the convention still started with a game called Diablo Immortal, which is a Diablo for your phone, cellular phone. And this is to a bunch of hardcore PC fans. Now, some of the other things behind that, which we found out later, was that trying to get into the main stage and the other stages, they had so much uh, security happening at the actual con, which people were already kind of in a bad mood trying just to get to their seats to make it to watch on one of the video screens or whatnot, um, the actual announcements. But they had teased a big Diablo announcement at BlizzCon, which did that dr draw anybody who went to gone on there? That I couldn't tell you, but when it came down to it, you've got this room filled with diehard PC fans who haven't had a new Diablo entry. Um, I think, was it 2012 Diablo 3 came out? It, that would need a fact check, but the big thing was the uh, the letdown to that was so big. Like one person asked if it was coming to mobile, or not mobile, but to PC, and they said no. Uh, and another person actually said, you know, is this an early or an off-season April Fool's joke? And pretty much they're like, no. But one of the things they also said when everybody was booing them or whatnot, they went – well, don't you guys own phones? And kind of rattled everybody in the fan base over. And the Internet Rage Group just took it over by storm as well. So wait, wait, wait I a second. Wayne, Wayne, yeah. you're saying people on the Internet get upset about things and rage about things? Yes, that no, is no, something no, 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 I... no, no. Say it ain't so. I don't know. There's something <laughs> called Twitter where your true opinions about everything, whatever you say, is true. Because we all know if it's on the internet, anything it must you say be on true. the internet, it must be true. <laughs> so, anyways, um, go on. Sorry. <laughs> oh, and by the way, I, before you continue, what, yes, I did look yeah. it up. Uh, the D the Diablo pen pen and paper game, the tabletop game, mm -hmm. it was actually released under the Dungeons and Dragons brand, so it was considered. Uh, a D&D &D product. It wasn't uh, a D20. It was officially a D&D &D game. So, anyways, carry on. Okay, that's actually interesting. Um, but I guess that's what I wanted to talk to you about, is after this entire fiasco, people are upset. People are angry. 
who knows if anybody actually did only go to to this BlizzCon for this announcement or not, you know. But after the, the after effect is is there were a lot of news outlets. Um, Jason Schreier, who I have a lot of respect for as a as a journalist, actually said, you know, the, in a tweet, you know, this guy is a pet pet. Uh, petulant child or something like that and lots of news outlets were calling gamers entitled and i wanted your opinion because it's happening with a couple franchises out there where you know every once in a while we're let down but you know we don't always get a perfectly polished game when we get one sometimes we get a game um like Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles, which is also coming out now for the Switch and for the other consoles, I was kind of grumpy about that because I was like, this is not the game I want to play. Now I've heard that that's a great entry into the franchise, right? But there is that moment that we as gamers have where we find out our favorite publishers, our favorite people who are doing it are going in a direction that we're kind of like, really, I have no interest in this. And you talk to some other people and they're like, yeah, I don't know where they're coming out with this too. So I wondered what your opinion is over the entitlement of gamers when you have, let's say in this case, and there's another case also, which I don't know if you play the game Fallout by Bethesda, uh, because they're bringing out what's called Fallout 76, or they have brought it out, and it's a multiplayer Fallout game. Well, most people who play Fallout don't really want a multiplayer yeah. <laughs> Fallout. Um, or if they did, what Bethesda announced, and from what I understand and brought out, is not what they would want to play. Um, but is it entitlement when you have a, you know, I'm going to just say raging core gamer group all on one platform, you bring it out to appease maybe someone who isn't the core group is that entitlement for them to be angry when you're seemingly ignoring them you know what i mean when you're seemingly not addressing your core especially at a group at a at an event where you're talking to your main group <laughs> honestly and that's a good question and i think it's something that we could probably discuss in great detail but I think that I can see both sides. I think that as a company, yes, you have to be able, I mean, you have to explore options that are going to be financially viable to keep yourself in business. I mean, I, I don't know how much it costs to develop a game nowadays, but I know it's a lot. You know, you got to pay yeah. these people to do, you got to pay people to do programming. You know, these people don't program video games just solely for the fun of it. They might enjoy their jobs, but they've got bills to pay too. They need exactly. paychecks. So I think, yes, a company does have to sometimes explore new venues. Maybe they just felt, I mean, I don't know if they did a focus group or a survey, but maybe they just felt that it wasn't financially viable to make a new Diablo game for the PC. Now, I don't see why they couldn't eventually port it over to the, you know, to PC. I think what would have been the smart move, because, I mean, well, again, 
you know, we talked about Final Fantasy VII. It originally came out for the the PlayStation, but eventually they did port it to others other platforms. I think that Blizzard they would do well to think, okay, we're making this game now for smartphones and for the Switch because again you've got that more casual gamer and you've got the portability convenience, but I think they should at least, you know, maybe say, okay, but if there's, there's this interest, we will bring it to the PC at a later time. Um, now, yeah. again, I, I don't know about the technical aspects. I don't know how hard it is to port something from like the, a smartphone game to a PC game. Um, so yeah, I think that I can't fault Blizzard for trying to do what they think is going to be the most financially viable options for their company. Now, are we as gamers entitled? That, I think, is a little harder question to answer. I mean, we are the ones that are keeping those companies in business. I mean, if, you know, Blizzard, let's just just use Blizzard as an example because we're talking about Diablo. They could make the best video game ever made doesn't matter if it's a diablo title or anything else they've done they could make the best damn video game in the entire history of video games but if no one buys it what's going to happen to the company if people stop buying their products even if they are making good products they're not going to stay in business very long um so i mean i think that it's important that fans we make our voices heard to the companies we tell them what we want in our games hoping that we'll listen. But on the other hand, we can't expect them to do a game just because we want it. And if it wouldn't be financially viable for the company to explore that. And we also have to, we have to understand that from their point of view as well. It's kind of like, it's kind of like sometimes you have to eat your vegetables before you get to the dessert. Yeah, this is coming out now, but this is coming out because we want to be able to bring out your your dessert you, know, you can't have any pudding later. until you eat your meat you have to eat your meat before you get the pudding okay <laughs> exactly. it's been a while it's been a long time since i've heard that song so yeah from pink floyd but anyways um so yeah but i mean i don't think that there's ever really going to be an easy answer to that i mean i think gamers since we are the customers we're the ones buying the products we do feel entitled to something but you know, whether a company should make all of their decisions based entirely on what the customers want, I think they definitely need to listen. And if it's not financially viable, I think they just need to be upfront with their customers and say, you know, okay, we're we're, we're sorry we didn't release Diablo, you know, the next Diablo game on computer, at the time, we just didn't think it was financially viable and maybe explain we're trying to look for some new markets, but, you know, we'll set up a site for surveys. And if, you know, you are customers, if you tell us that you want to see this game on your PC or you want to see it on your Xbox or your PlayStation, we will, if a lot of people want that, we will find a way to make it happen. Um, And if I was a Diablo fan, if that was the response they took, I would find that satisfactory. Um, Yeah. It'd be nice if they put a timetable on it, because obviously we wouldn't want to be waiting around for five years for a game that would be released. 
this is Blizzard, so you're not going to get a timetable. That that was one of the other jokes is that they always they always say it'll be done when it's done. <laughs> well, now this the one that they're making for smartphones is it free to play or is it one of those ones where you pay a flat fee but you get the game? You're not. It's not like you have to, you know, you get the free version and then you have to pay like another two ninety nine for more levels. So. And here's part of the controversy as well. They're going with a company called NetEase, which is high into microtransaction monetization. So my guess is going to be that it's going to be a free-to-play game. Um, how exactly? And with all the controversy, I think they're staying away from that debate at this moment. You know what I mean? They're not going to be telling what their monetization or microtransaction stuff is going to be. Um, to be honest with you, I don't do too much cell phone, cell phone gaming myself, uh, but I'd rather have like something I pay X number of dollars and you know what I mean? You get I the don't game have and to you pay don't have to. Any... Yeah, you get the game, you've got the game. It's not like you have to, and I know this is what some people don't like about DLC. Like I said, Final Fantasy 15, yeah, you can get the game and it's it's fun, but if you want the full story, then you got to spend additional money on the DLC. And one of the things I've always brought up, and I don't know if you feel the same way about DLC, uh, ever, I thought DLC was a brilliant idea when it first came out. I thought, think about being able to continue your journey once the game's over, to have new things, you know, where pretty much expansion packs were DLC if you think about it when you got an expansion pack to the game that just increased it but over time it's turned into not that <laughs> you know what I mean it's like uh, I put Skyrim I think no or was it Oblivion um, you can spend five ninety nine or whatnot and buy horse armor oh yay our first DLC yeah. <laughs> well that's actually a topic that I think we should uh, – we could probably explore on a future date. But I think we're going to call this first episode of Gamer's Gambit to a close. So if you want to reach out to us, you can certainly look up Point of Insanity Network on Facebook. You can follow us on Twitter at POI Game Studio. Uh, you can also email us at, point of in, at POIGameStudio at gmail.com. So with that said, I'd like to – Thank you all for tuning in, and keep on gaming. I just made that up just now. Do you think that's a good closing line, keep on gaming? It's kind of like how, you know, with geekery in general, it's like, you know, uh, uh, you know. I like it. Yeah, that, I, I think we can keep <laughs> I, it. It's I, like, I, can't, I can't say that I don't like it. <laughs> well, it's like, and you know, when uh, I was doing uh, geekery in general in my first episode, I didn't know how to close it, so I'm like, have a good evening, or morning, or afternoon whatever it is wherever you are and happy gaming and for my other podcast casual martial artist we just came up with our closing thing there keep your kicks above the belt and below the face which so, is a very good rule to follow <laughs> well especially if you're doing competitive sparring or if you're practice sparring with a friend most people don't like getting punched in the face or kicked in the nuts well, or getting probably kicked in the face. <laughs> I've been there. I've I've experienced both. It's not enjoyable. So keep no. on gaming, everyone, and we'll talk to you next time.
It was a dark and stormy night, and the hosts of the Queens of the Damned podcast had just gathered around the fire with their tomes of forgotten lore. Don't forget the wine! And a lot of wine, much of which had already been imbibed. For her part, Miranda was discussing... A history of Frankenstein, from its conception to Karloff's beloved role as the monster. And Rachel would continue with... Vincent Price. Like, everything about Vincent Price. And as the fire died down, Nikki would conclude the evening... With something related to gothic literature, probably. You know me so well. Do you like listening to three women debate about the cultural significance of the horror genre? And also axe murders. I do love a good old-timey axe murder story. Then Queens of the Damned, a horror podcast, is the show for you. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, and pretty much anywhere you can download a podcast. Visit us at queensofthedamnedpodcast.wordpress.com, qotdpodcast.podbean.com, or email us at qotdpodcast at gmail.com for more details about our monthly horror giveaways. Stay spooky! You have been listening to a program from the Point of Insanity Network. Visit us at poigamestudio.podbean.com for more shows. Follow us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at POIGamestudio.